What actor has won the most Oscars in history? And recently, Britain's oldest pub closed for business. How old was it? How old was it? <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, God. Can we just do it one more time? No, never no. mind. <laughs> okay, let's go. And Marsha. <laughs> Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, Marcia, when a pub closes in England, and it's the oldest pub in England, and its age is announced, this will give you some perspective on life. Well, I know that we ate at the oldest restaurant once uh, in the world, and that went back to, good heavens. 800-something? Oh. <laughs> So they probably had pubs before they had restaurants. How many years old is this pub? I'll say, I'll say 2,000 years old. No. (laughs) No, not quite that far. Okay. But close, Marsh. (laughs) Ye old fighting cocks in St. Albans, England. See this? Here's a picture of it. Nice looking place. Bob, you can't do pictures on radio. Can you you see it? (laughs) They say they've been in business for 1,229 years. They announced recently they were closing down due to financial problems that worsened during COVID 19. God, imagine being around for 1,200 years and COVID takes you down. Yeah. That's sad. That is amazing, though. Where where is that located again? St. Albans, England, and they announced it on Facebook. Aw. Okay, we never could hoist a beer there. That's you think too somebody bad. would say, "Well, I'll buy that." Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. You know, what a great thing to say. You one own. of the Beatles could have bought that. That's true. Kept it going forever. All right, it's almost Oscar time again. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, what actor has won the most Oscars in history? It's an actor. It's not a producer or a director. Yes. Because I think this. Walt Disney actually won more yes, than anybody correct. else. Yes, that's correct. That was a question a while back. But this is actor. I <laughs> thought it was Catherine Hepburn. Oh, my God. Is that who it is? Yes. Okay, tell Good me about it. Good for you. Well, she won four. She won her first one in 1933 for the movie Morning Glory, which I've never seen. Have you? mm Okay, and then guess who's coming to dinner? Lion in Winter and on Golden Pond. Were they guess- all best actress? Yeah. They were all Best Actress. Wow. And guess who's coming to dinner? She did with Spencer Tracy, That's right, right. right. Yeah. She did nine films with the love of her life, Spencer Tracy. Interesting. Yes. Well, following up on that. Okay. She was number one with four trophies, Oscars. But seven people have tied for number two place. Oh, really? Yes, with three wins each. Can you name any of them? I'm sure you can. Meryl Streep. <laughs> yes. Got to be I'm, one of them. Yes. Richard Burton, is he one of them? No. Okay. I don't know. Who? Daniel Day-Lewis, Meryl Streep, Jack Nicholson, Ingrid Bergman, Walter Brennan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Walter Brennan was a big Oscar winner. Betty Davis and Spencer Tracy. How many did they all win? They all won three. They tied for second place. It would be great to be a part of that group, wouldn't it? If you were an actor, yeah. you, like Daniel Day-Lewis, you join that group? It only takes one of them, Jack or Meryl, to have another one, and they'll tie for first. Then they'll be tied with uh, Catherine. Yes. All right. All right, Marsha, where was America's first gold rush? Now, I'll give you some clues. California, North Carolina, the Yukon, or South Dakota? Which place hosted America's first major gold rush? South Dakota. South Dakota. 
where Wild Bill Hickok was and all those people, mm-hmm. Deadwood, South Dakota, wrong. <laughs> I thought you were going <laughs> to praise me, but no. No, you told me that you wanted me to praise you when you got things right. Yes. You're very disappointing already <laughs> today. <laughs> you don't have to praise me. Just say something. Congratulations, Marcia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what do I say when you don't do it? You stupid woman. No, 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 no. Okay, it was North Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. I didn't know that. Many people headed to California in 1849 in search of gold, but the first gold rush occurred 50 years earlier in North Carolina. 12-year-old Conrad Reed discovered the first nugget while he was fishing at Little Metal Creek in 1799. Now, it wasn't a little nugget he discovered. It was a 17-pounder. Oh, my Lord. Boy, would I like that on my ring here. Likely (laughs) his uh, biggest catch ever in that creek. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Located on his family's property in the region was soon overrun with gold diggers. This was 1799. Now, if this sounds strange... Remember the Marshall Tucker song, Fire on the Mountain, Lightning in the Air, Gold in Them Hills, Waiting for You There? That was about the North Carolina Gold Rush. Well, I'll be jiggered. Fire on the Mountain. But the 12-year-old Conrad Reed, he's the guy who came up with a 17-pound piece of gold. I love it. I love it. I'm going to go out and get a trout more. A 17-pound gold. And he did it on his family's property. When I was a kid, I remember I used to take a fishing pole, you know, stick with a string and go out in the backyard when there was water there, thinking we could fish. What a sad picture. Can anybody (laughs) tell you? Mom, Dad? They had to get me out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's got to... You mean it'll work if I give you a pole today? Get this annoying kid (laughs) out of the house. He keeps asking too many questions. Oh, my God, Sad, you're fishing in a puddle, Bob. What is? Oh, hope your children don't hear this. Okay, all right. I'm going to stick with the movie thing. What movie used more extras than any movie in history? I bet it was the Ten Commandments. No. Was it one of those biblical films? No. I'll give you a hint by saying it was a 1981 film. A 1980? Was it the Gladiator film? It was Gandhi. Really? More yes. more extras in that film than any other? They used 300,000 people for the 10-minute funeral scene. Jeez. Yeah. No Imagine the pay stub forms they had to fill out for <laughs> well, that. Well, that's just it. 200 of them did it for free. 200,000 did it for free. Yeah, I'm free. sorry. 200,000 of Jeez. them did it for free, and the rest were paid a small fee. So they paid 100,000 people a small fee. Yeah. Well, yeah. even 10 that, cents yeah. is a lot I, of money when I it's 100,000 people. <laughs> 300, can you imagine? Wow, that's amazing. For that 10-minute scene. Do you remember that? I know I've seen it. But oh, I, it's been a long time since I've seen yeah. Gandhi. Yeah, every time I see Ben Kingsley in a film, I, yeah, you think of Gandhi. he's tucked away in a film doing a little part. And it's like, yeah. oh, there's Ben Kingsley. Remember yeah. in Gandhi, it was like yeah. huge, yeah. huge film. Yeah. All right, Marsha, what river's name means river, river when it's translated? Oh, oh is it like Congo? No. Is it uh, Amazon? No. Mississippi River? No. Any other guesses here? No, that was my three big ones. More disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you choices here. The River Thames, the River Seine, the River Tiber, or the River Avon. These are all in Europe. Okay. I will say Tiber. No. But that's okay. Okay. What is the answer? It's okay to fail because (laughs) you you pick yourself up and you keep going. (laughs) Okay. You're so wise, Obi-Wan. It's the River Avon which is Celtic for river. Okay. The River Avon literally means river, river. Now that, of course, is located in the United Kingdom. It runs through the spa city of Bath. It glides through the Cotswolds, and it's associated with Shakespeare. 
He died in Stratford-upon-Avon. Yeah. So yeah. it was Stratford-upon-River. Yeah. All right. <laughs> anyway, other rivers in the United Kingdom also use Avon as a term for rivers, such as the Avon of Bristol and the Avon of Wiltshire. So in some places, the meaning is reversed. Brilliant, young man. Last question on movies. Which film has the most well-known stars in it? Which film has the most well-known yeah. stars in yeah. it? Yeah, the biggest roster of film stars in it. It's a mad, 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 mad yes. world. Yes. Yes, good for you. Yes, it had. You want to guess how many comedy legends in it? How many? 44. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And uh, it was a 1963 slapstick movie by Stanley Kramer. Yeah, that's a kind of a fun one to watch, actually, because you don't watch it for the plot. You watch it to see who am I going to see next. Yeah. Oh, here's Buster Keaton. Yeah. Oh, here's, who's that woman who used to sing real loud and you used to imitate her? Ethel, Ethel Merman. Merman. She's oh! in it. <laughs> yes. Jimmy Durante was on it, remember? Yeah, yeah. It's under the big W. <laughs> you know, that, that was the clue. He died at the very beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he the did. treasure. The treasure. Where it's under the big W. They had to find what the big W was. All I think right. it was the Hollywood sign, as I recall. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay, Marsha, what city's most famous intersection was once the center of four legged transportation? Well, would that be Hollywood and Vine? No. Would it be in New York? Yes. Would it be Broadway and, uh, what is it, Third? Well, you got the answer. What city's most famous intersection? Oh, New York City. And what's the most famous intersection? That's what I'm trying to get here. Marcia, you did a great job. Congratulations. <laughs> Shut up. All right, go back to ignoring me. You got New York. Now, what is the famous intersection? This is where they dropped the ball Wait, New Year's for 42nd Day. 42nd in Broadway? New Year's or, Day. It's a square. What is it called, Marcia? Times Square. Very good. Very good. <laughs> yes, Times Square. That's the intersection. It's called yeah. Times Square. Oh, I see. There's a little trick there. And it was once surrounded by farms. And by the second half of the 19th century, it was the heart of New York City's carriage manufacturing industry, home to William Vanderbilt's American Horse Exchange. So that's where horses were bought and sold. And the coaches that they pulled were built there. So it was the center of four-legged transportation. But all that changed in 1904 when the New York Times newspaper moved into their lavish new skyscraper there called One yeah. Times Square. Uh, okay. And even though the paper moved eight years later, it's been called Times Square for over 100 years. Okay, Bob, you'll like this story. What is Misfits Markets? Misfits Markets? Uh-huh. Is this the person? Misfits Market. Oh, no, Misfits. Oh, Misfits Market. I don't know. It's a brainchild of a guy named Abi Ramish. Wait a minute. Misfits Market? It's where all those unmatched socks are sold. <laughs> Everything you've lost and could never In the match. Dryer. The Misfits. Yeah. It's not too unlike that. It's <laughs> a man who rethought the online grocery store. It all began when he visited an apple orchard, and he saw the incredible waste of imperfect apples. I never you know? thought of that. Oh, yeah. Imperfect apples. If you're not perfect, like, you know, the woman you married, it gets cast aside. <laughs> That's when he got his billion-dollar idea, Bob, wow, wow. of selling rejected produce online at reduced prices. He included everything from flawed packaging, like upside-down labels on olive oil bottles, to popcorn that never made it to movie theaters. It was surplus that okay. he would buy. Okay. And by offering affordable, sustainable groceries online, he's attracted a huge audience at MisfitsMarket.com. And think of all of the things that went into that, where he had to make sure everything stayed fresh and so forth. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Lots of work. Yeah. Okay. All right. What city's famous monument 
grows six inches taller every summer. The famous monument, world famous, grows six inches taller every summer. Does it go back down then? Yes, it, is, yes it does. Oh, it does. Okay, so is that like the Washington Monument? No. Because I thought maybe the earth beneath it got No, it's up. the monument itself expands and contracts. You have to tell me. It's the Eiffel Tower. Oh, I should have said that. Yeah. Obviously. When it was completed in 1889, it was the tallest building in the world, 1,063 feet. But it actually grows six inches taller each summer because it's made of iron and it's sensitive to temperature variation. It's a natural phenomenon known as thermal expansion. And because of that, it also slightly shifts away from the sun rotating throughout the course of the day, depending on which side is facing the sun. Oh, really? Yeah, it kind of rears back away from the sun slightly, too, as well as growing and (laughs) expanding and contracting. The living Eiffel Tower. Obviously, I didn't know. Okay, what's the most remote inhabited spot on Earth? The most remote inhabited? I thought it was Hawaii. Not even close. It's a place called Tristan de Cunha, C-U-N-H-A. As of 2022, there were 257 people, mostly British citizens, living on this archipelago. It sees a ship carrying mail, cargo, and passengers about once a month. Wow. (laughs) It sits in the South Atlantic Ocean between South America and Africa. Hmm. It's west and slightly south of the Cape of Good Hope. Wow. It's not very big, about 30 square miles, about uh, six miles in diameter. And there's only nine surnames of people who live on this Oh, island. no kidding. <laughs> Do they inbreed? That's my know. question. But they're probably all descended from travelers from the 17th and 18th century when this place was on the preferred maritime route to the Cape of Good Hope in Indian Ocean. Hmm. And the travelers would go past this and some of them would jump off. And here you have the 257 people who now live there. Isn't that interesting? Now, I know Hawaii is the largest metropolitan area that uh-huh. is isolated yeah. from the rest of the world. Yeah. Oh. But how would you like to live on this one? You only get a, you know, ah, no, once a so. month. Oh, here comes some buttered popcorn. I think I the don't. only important thing to ask is, do they have Wi-Fi? If not, do they have some kind of satellite dish so they can get the web? Well, that's a good question. Well, you have that question. That's interesting. Here's mine. What's the McFarthest spot from a McDonald's restaurant? <laughs> McFarthest. <laughs> In the oh. 48 contiguous United States. In the 48. Okay. That'll... You have to drive farther to get yes, to this. Yes, I get the idea. Than any other McDonald's. I will say it's someplace in the Pacific Northwest. Not no, yet. No. no, it's not. Okay. Mm-hmm. How about Montana? No. No? How about uh, uh, Wyoming? It's in Nevada. Okay. It's in Nevada. It's the McFarthest spot. (laughs) That's what they call it. The latitude is 37.92901, and the longitude is 116.32345. And it's 135 miles from the nearest McDonald's. That's how far you have to go. The closest town is Tonopah or Tonopah, T-O-N-O-P-A-H, Nevada. The zip code there is 89049. (laughs) <laughs> That's the McFarthest spot for a McDonald's those peop- restaurant. Those people must suffer a great deal. <laughs> I think it's time for a break. Do they have therapy? I think it's time for a break, Marsha. <laughs> okay, I'll break. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Marsha, we had a question the other day about, um, I think it was also the Eiffel Tower, its color. The paint that was first used. Yeah, it was... uh, Reddish, brown. Reddish. Okay, did you know (laughs) the Golden Gate Bridge is Uh covered in that kind of paint? Did you know that was supposed to be temporary? 
architect Irving Morrow noticed that some of the steel that arrived for construction of the bridge was coated in a dark red primer, which inspired him to write a 29-page report saying, why don't we use a similar color in the final design? He just liked the way that Uh paint looked. Uh He suggested using orange vermilion or burnt sienna, Uh as those tones would emphasize the grand scale of the bridge and provide a contrast to the gray and blue of the water. And it does. Yeah. So they painted it in what they call international orange. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that? <laughs> That's like, so San Francisco. But it was, uh, it was an accident. <laughs> it was just, uh, oh, let's, hey, let's try this. Oh. What's the fastest growing sport in the United States? The fastest growing sport? Yeah. So it's got to be curling. No, <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> we just did that last night. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Pickleball. Oh, gosh, really? It started out with the 55-plus set because you don't have to put quite all your joints into action with pickleball (laughs) like tennis. (laughs) And I want to definitely do this. Uh, I haven't played, but you don't seem too keen on it. But It just doesn't sound exciting to me myself. I don't know. Let's play pickleball. Yeah, I'm going to. If it had a different name, It sounds like a board game to me. It began growing with that quirky name around the 2000s. But today, pickleball is attracting players of every age as it explodes in popularity across the U.S. and now around the globe. It's a combination of various sports, including badminton, tennis, ping pong, all of that. Okay, speaking of sports, (laughs) this is a fellow who is a versatile oarsman, the most versatile oarsman in history. He was from the United States. He won three Olympic championships. You've never heard of this man because his daughter's accomplishments overshadowed him. Who was he? It wasn't King Richard of the, the, of the tennis stars. No. Um, this guy was an oarsman. oarsman he won three yeah. Olympic championships. Yeah, I don't know. It's John B. Kelly of Philadelphia. Okay. His son, John Jr., was also a celebrated figure in sculling. But John Kelly's daughter, Grace became an award-winning oh. <laughs> actress and later a European princess, okay. Princess was... Grace of Monaco. Oh, okay. Yeah, so even though he won three Olympic championships, nobody knows his name, but everybody knows Grace Kelly. Yes. Movie yes. star. Yes, they do. All right. And here's an addendum. There's some talk, some whispers about pickleball getting into the Olympics. Here we go again <laughs> with the pickleball. Just, just so you know, it may be an Olympic sport someday. Okay, you know how New York got the nickname Big Apple? Uh, yes, it had to do with something about horse racing, didn't it? Wasn't horses or a club or something like that? Uh, it was a, a famous columnist came up with that term. Uh, well, it's sort of a combination of those. So it all started in 1920. Sports journalist John Fitzgerald wrote a column about how many horse races there were in and around New York. Okay, like I thought. And he referred to the prizes they won as the Big Apple, you know, horses like apples. And it symbolized the biggest and the best one can achieve. Ten years later, in the 30s, the jazz era came and the song started to refer to New York City as the Big Apple. It didn't become a nickname for good until the 60s and 70s. Advertising took over, and to attract tourists, they made a big red apple the city's logo and firmly established the nickname forevermore. As I said, I was right. <laughs> and Such He actually wrote a column called The Big Apple, too. I have a um, some icon they used in newspapers. Who this, he? The guy who wrote the who wrote the newspaper articles about horse racing. Oh, okay. He had a column called The Big Apple. Oh, John J. Fitzgerald? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, okay. got a, I've got a picture of that. I'll show yeah. it to you sometime. So it was those three things, you know, music, sports, and then finally good old advertising. All right.
Okay, Marcia, for the past several shows, I've had words that used to mean something totally different than they mean today. So I'm going to give you three more. The word pretty. What did that mean back in the 1450s? The word pretty. It didn't mean attractive. Oh, I was going to say Marcia, but if it didn't mean attractive. <laughs> you weren't there. <laughs> I wasn't there. God, help me. It meant uh, nice, somebody nice. No, it didn't. It meant to be cunning or crafty. Oh, really? Yeah, that was the original meaning of the word pretty. Somehow it turned into charming and beautiful. I don't know. Uh, sophisticated. What do we think of when we think of sophisticated today? Again, me. Oh, no, something refined, Marcia. <laughs> okay, you, yeah. <laughs> But in the 1600s, something sophisticated was mixed with foreign substance, adulterated, not pure or genuine. That's oh, what really? sophisticated really meant originally. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. One more. Sustainable. What did that mean originally? Okay. What did it mean originally? Capable of being endured or born or bearable. Sustainable. Oh, yeah. It's not that. The meaning is pretty close. But that was in the 1610s. That's the meaning for that. Okay. All right. All right. Here's some state nicknames. I'll give you the nickname. You tell me the state. Okay. Hoosier. State of Indiana. Hawkeye. Hawkeye State is Iowa. Old Line State. Old Line State? Uh-huh. That's got to be something back east. Yes. Uh, I'm thinking Kentucky, but I don't think it is Kentucky, so I'll say Tennessee. Maryland. Maryland. Centennial State. The Centennial State. So that was maybe the centennial of the United States that came into being? Is that the thing? That I don't know. Is? I don't know the origin of it. That's good guess. Back to Tennessee, that's the volunteer state. I know that. Oh, that was my next one. Okay. Oh, okay. I don't know what's the... Uh, oh, Colorado is the centennial state? The centennial state. How about the Sooner state? The Sooners, that's Oklahoma. Good. And the last one? And you think this through and you'll get it. The equality state. The equality state. That was Montana? No. California? No. <laughs> equality state. Uh-huh. For 10. <laughs> I'm, I'm Jeopardy. I don't know. It's, it's Wyoming. And there why, you go. And why is that? Because they were the first state to allow women to vote. That's right. That, I thought it was Montana, but it was Wyoming. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay, good. Okay, and I have another word. Where did this come from? What does mad as a hatter mean? Where did that come from? The phrase mad as a hatter. Have you ever heard that phrase? Yes, of course. And yes. then in, I, I always got it. I, I thought it came from uh, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Yeah, because there was a hatter and he yeah. was mad. But do you know what that... No. Might, okay. That was because it was a serious medical condition that once plagued the hat-making industry. In the 18th really? centuries and the 19th centuries, fur felt for hats, which is more durable and lightweight than wool felt, was made by treating animal pelts with mercury nitrate. Oh, geez. And it made them insane. Yeah. it uh, Actually, over time, people who worked with that developed tremors, uh, speech problems, hallucinations, and mental and emotional instability. So the problem, uh, the popularity of the phrase mad as a hatter shows how widespread it yeah. was. But mercury continued to be used in hat making into the 20th century. It wasn't officially banned until 1940. Wow. Mad as a hatter. That's where that comes from. All right. I have a, a quick uh, word question, too. All right. Why are strangers who plead for help called beggars? I never thought of people pleading. I guess beggars are pleading for help, aren't they? I didn't think about that. I thought they're begging, they're begging for money. They're begging for money or help. Yeah. Why, are, why are they called beggars? Yeah. I don't know. The verb beg came from a 12th century monk named Lambert de Begue, B-E-G-U-E. Hmm. And whose follow, whose followers wandered the countryside and depended on handouts to survive. 
they were called Begus. <laughs> no kidding. I yes. didn't know that. And so it came from a monk who's had that name. Okay. Okay, Marcia, here's a current question. We know automobile ride services have ballooned, but how big are those bike-sharing services? Let's just take a look at New York City. Okay. How many docks are there for bikes, parking docks for bikes? In New York City? Yeah. Oh, gosh. 63,000. You're a little over. You overshot it by a bit, but it's a lot. City Bike, a service of Lyft, uh, Lyft in Manhattan and Brooklyn, grew from 6,000 bikes and 12,000 parking docks to 24,000 bikes and 47,000 docks. It's the largest bike-sharing system in the country today. So there's 24,000? So I was way off. 24,000 bikes, 47,000 docks oh, wow. by this one service, City yeah. Bike. So there so, are other services yeah. in New York City. So I might be right, accidentally. <laughs> That's very amazing, isn't it? Okay, so last one before my quote. Okay. Do you know, Bob, the origin of April Fool's Day? The origin of April Fool's Day? Yes. How it began? I don't know. All right. According to the Big Book of Answers. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Where is that book? (laughs) How big is that book? It's pretty big. Up until 1564, the French celebrated New Year's between March 25th and April 1st. Hmm. But when the Gregorian calendar came about, it was moved to January 1st with the rest of us. Those who resisted the change became victims of pranks, like getting invited to New Year's parties on April 1st. <laughs> because that was the original date yeah, of the New yeah, Year? Yeah, and some people refused to ever believe, so they started saying, hey, come over to, you know, to a big party on April 1st. Soon the April 1st celebration of a non-event became an annual festival of hoaxes, uh, which I thought was pretty funny. So those people became April Fools. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so it had to do with the calendar changing. Yeah, and a lot of people just would not give up their their New Year's. They're day. the April Fools. Yeah, They're so, sticking with that yeah, date. All right, come that's, on to the uh, the uh, New Year's party at our house, <laughs> and there'd be nobody there. Wow, that's people have never changed, have they? No, they don't. People are always the same. <laughs> I bet if you look hard enough in those Egyptian tombs, you'll find jokes written on the walls you somewhere. Know, you know, be a, what if someone, what if there's a knock knock joke? <laughs> wouldn't that be interesting? Ah, uh, Amotep said, knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> and ooh, his knuckles hurt from knocking on the stone and door. Ramses II said, who's there? Okay. All right. And here's a well-known quote that goes out to all the brave citizens of Ukraine. Bravery is not the absence of fear, but the action taken in the face of fear. Well, that's true. That's true. If you're brave, that doesn't mean that you lack fear. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. But what do you do in the face of fear? Well, that's the answer to our question for today. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you've enjoyed this. And we remind anyone listening that we love to solicit questions from the audience. If you'd like to give us a question that I can use to challenge (laughs) Marsha or she can use to challenge me. All right. You can just go to our website, theofframp.show. Yes, theofframp.show and scroll down to... Contact Contact us, us. yes. Okay, and us will be there. Us will be there. All right, Bob, wrap it up. That's all for today. From us, I'm Bob Smith. (laughs) I'm Marcia Smith. You've been listening to The The Off-Ramp. Join us again next time when we return with more trivia questions on The The Off-Ramp. We love The (laughs) Off-Ramp. Oh, okay. Settle down, Bob. (laughs) All right. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.